Hello, listeners. You're listening to Filmed in Canada, a podcast about Canadian movies. Yeah, those are the ones you watch once in film class. I'm William. I Lee. never took a film class. <laughs> That's why you're watching them for the first time. They, they offered one at my university, and I knew it was going to be a complete joke, so I did not attend. And I was right because I found out that. They watched 2001 A Space Odyssey and the discussion consisted of why people thought it was overrated and then they all made 30-minute short films having absolutely no faculty or understanding of filmmaking and it was a complete fucking waste of time. So I did not take the film class at my university. That sounded like a good decision. Also, I, 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 to be fair, calling 2001 overrated is fine. But dismissing it for having no artistic merit is just wrong-headed. Yeah, I think in the university setting, sometimes you're just given free reign to make an opinion and just fighting the establishment, yeah, man. Yeah, that's right. Be contrary, and, yeah. and nobody calls you out on it, saying like, "Well, actually, that's just a wrong opinion." Yeah, yeah. And actually, within a scholarly setting, I'm sure there is lots of writing about like the form and function of stanley kubrick's filmmaking and how good it is sure yeah i i had a class where we were uh reading heart of darkness yeah yeah and uh and the professor um for one lecture he um he just showed a clip from apocalypse now and then and then when we had our tutorial sessions we we're talking about apocalypse now and people are chiming in about like oh yeah apocalypse now is boring and this mm -hmm. and that it's not very it's not a very interesting movie and mm -hmm. And it was just like, cause it was just like not the, uh, you know, not the right place to be having that conversation. So like, we're not, um, like, we haven't looked at Apocalypse Now in a context to really consider Apocalypse Now. So yeah. I mean, it's just, it just seemed like the wrong place to, to give people, the freedom to to say Apocalypse Now sucks. But, yeah. You know, you're well, you're you're just totally wrong. Yeah. Um, but actually, uh, a, a very interesting critique that I've seen of two thousand one was um, this video essay, a guy named Kogonada, that does these kind of more experimental essays. He's done a bunch of stuff for Criterion, but he did this one about, um, about Tarkovsky and Solaris, and then com kind of comparing it to 2001, but more so, he was, he was almost just excerpting this writing that Tarkovsky had done about 2001, and how he just thought it was complete bullshit, and like, He's like, he's like, after I saw 2001, I needed to make Solaris because like I wanted to create my own version of the future. And like, he's like, you know, our, our spaceship was falling apart. It wasn't this pristine vision of, of, um, you know, order and, and whatever. And, and I, I can't really remember it in too much more detail, but, um, I just, I really enjoyed the idea of like one massive director, like attacking the other massive director for what he believes to be this corporate piece of garbage when like within the Hollywood context 2001 was seen as this like so far out an experimental thing or whatever and, like, mm. yeah I really, well, I really like Andrei Tarkovsky even though I've only see seen a couple of his movies and I just I, I just like him, him as a, like a philosopher you know maybe I can appreciate him better as a philosopher than yeah yeah I I don't get a lot of entertainment value out of his movies mm. but I certainly appreciate that he's serious about movies yeah. yeah. Um, Francois Truffaut, though, I mean, the whole, the, the French New Wave. Yeah. I mean, that was all about criticizing movies, criticizing Hollywood movies. Yeah. And, you know, they believed if you wanted to, if you wanted to 
prove that a movie was wrong was to make the the better version of it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that kind of? I'm not sure if I'll use it. It's kind of a low energy start. Do we start over? Are you okay with that? I'm good. Let's go. Let's keep going. Talking about great movies. Yeah. The uh, Toronto International Film Festival. They uh, in '84 they started compiling their top ten best Canadian movies ever. Yeah. So um, and then they update it every ten years or so. Yeah. So there's been four iterations of that list. On the second iteration of that list, uh, which would have been 1993, um, the number nine movie on the of the top 10 was i've heard the mermaid singing yeah guess what that's the movie we're going to talk about today what a surprise i, I bet you didn't know that unless you looked at the title of the of this podcast <laughs> yeah uh, all right so i've heard the mermaid singing from 1987 written and directed by patricia rosema we've talked about briefly on the podcast before because i mentioned into the forest which i quite liked from last year and also had a, a short review of it in written form up on the website, which you can still check out. Our website is filmedincanada.net. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and she's, uh, Patricia Rosema is um, she's also known for uh, the movie Mansfield Park from 1999. I like that a lot. Yeah. Did you see that? I haven't seen it. Okay. And currently she's directing, ep- currently she's directing episodes of the Amazon series. Uh, Mozart in the Jungle, starring Gail Garcia Bernal. Cool. I like him. Yeah. Me too, Mama Tamien. One of my favorites. Your Mama too? One of my favorites. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Was that a Your Mama joke, or or, or is it like a genuine thing? Because you actually kind of like you, you seem to like my mom. Your mom's cool. Yeah. It seems. Yeah. She, <laughs> she likes her pod. She she supports her podcasts. Yeah. That's cool in my book. Mm-hmm. Okay, where to start? Yeah, it's a, it, so we're talking about a movie. Yeah. It's about mermaids. Well, it's about hearing the mermaids. It's about, it's, it's, it's yeah. Okay. Is that, is that some sort of like... Where is the title from? From like a book or something? It's from a poem. Oh, yeah, T.S. Eliot. That's right. Yeah. Um, the Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Or A Love Song for J. Alfred Prufrock? I thought it was The Love Song of... of yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's a cool poem. Yeah. I remember, I, I've never really read any poetry, but I remember when I was like 16, I was like, yo, this is sweet. Really? This is a really sweet poem. Oh, okay. And I like right. s- just get lit and talk about T.S. Eliot for a while. Wow. I, I work, I had to deal with that poem in uh, university English. And I guess, you know, that experience kind of ruins it for you. <laughs> you know, after you have to talk about it for for six hours right okay so this uh, this movie is um how many years old is that 30 Almost years 30 old years old 30 yeah. years old wow uh much revered in like the within uh, the canadian yeah. film scene i would say yeah. yeah um i think we're just gonna we're gonna talk M- about much unknown otherwise i would say possibly so although actually i think it competed at Cannes. it was invited to the director's fortnight and it won the like the youth filmmaker award yeah the the grand jury prize no no the the prix de jeunesse okay yeah uh, anyway just uh i just want to say um uh, i don't think we're holding back on any uh like plot details because i don't think there's yeah. a lot to give away mm-hmm. so but um you know, if you're if you're adverse to hearing about the details of I've heard the mermaid singing, uh, be forewarned. Yeah, Sheila McCarthy. Uh, well, okay, let uh, Patricia Rosema's first f- 
feature length uh, movie. Yeah. Um, Sheila McCarthy, she's the the lead actor in the movie. Her her movie debut as well. Yeah, Paul Bayer Jean. Uh, she's a veteran from film uh, from Canadian film and TV, and uh, the other the other main cast member is uh, Anne Marie McDonald, mm-hmm. uh, who is also you'll see her on a lot of Canadian TV. E N G Do South the L Word. The L Word Canadian. Uh, isn't it made in Toronto? Isn't I don't know if it's uh, it, it's it's shown on uh, like Showcase or Showtime, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's Canadian or not. Yeah. yeah. Or no, I'm thinking of Queer as Folk. That's a British show, I think. It was a British showrunner anyway. Because okay. it was the guy that made... The, it was the guy that like restarted Doctor Who. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, got Doctor Who on the mind recently. I bought Doctor Who Lego. That's fab. Yeah. Yeah. Does it... Uh, if you build something, does it have more space inside than you expect? Well, yeah. So, yeah. so you can detach the main part of it and then close it up and it's just the phone box, yeah. the phone booth. And then, and then if you open the phone booth, you can reattach the main part of the spaceship. No. Okay. <laughs> and it also comes with two iterations of the doctor in minifigure form. Nice. I was going to ask you which doctors. <laughs> 11, 11 and 12. Matt Smith and uh, the new guy. Okay. Um, Sheila McCarthy. Um, she, I remember from, uh, she's a reporter in Die Hard 2. Oh, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, Die Hard 2. Oh, I, that, see, I haven't seen that one. Really. How could you not have seen that I one? I know I've seen it, but like I haven't seen it in like years. Okay. Because I, I, I bet it's I, a good one. I've rewatched Die Hard with a Vengeance like many times. Oh, all right. Because I love that one for some reason. Because it's like I just I just love the idea of Jeremy Irons, like setting traps and like it's like your turn, <laughs> Bruce Willis. Like solve this okay. one. I like just the, just the this the concept of of them having to solve puzzles, <laughs> like running around New York City is just so ridiculous. It's amazing. Anyway, we we're, we got to talk about the actual movie that we're here to talk about. Right. Why? Well, it seems like we're avoiding it. Ah, no, yeah, maybe. Okay, let's it's get been, into it. It's been a while since I've seen it. Sheila McCarthy, I, she got a lot of notice for her portrayal of the, of the lead character, Polly Vandersma. Yeah. Did you like her portrayal of Polly Vandersma? Uh, I would say I found it uneven. Okay. I like was... I really liked parts of her character, but then like I don't know, like there's a there's a point where she's singing at the end, which just seemed very strange and out of place. I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah. She was like walking a tightrope for me in in terms of my liking her or not, or being annoyed by her or not. Mm-hmm. Um, she's she's kind of like an early version of like the manic pixie. Yeah, um, if you know what I mean. But, but but also kind of like an asexual version of that a little bit yeah. yeah um and her performance at times reminded me of Wee herman okay if that makes sense yeah okay. yeah she no she definitely does seem like very childish and um kind of like the reverse of um like what's that word when like children are, are like smart for their age precocious yeah mm. so she's like anti-precocious oh, she's okay. kind of like socially inept i would say yeah Okay, so Polly is um, this slightly inept, a little bit clumsy kind of woman. Mm-hmm. Um, she's working as a as a temp admin assistant. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, she works for a temp agency. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to say secretary, but I don't know if that's like the, still the proper way to say what she does. But yeah. you know, she's she so so she gets a, a she gets assigned to uh, she gets sent to this art gallery uh, run by Gabrielle, and so she helps out there. But she develops a crush on Gabrielle, mm-hmm. and then later Gabrielle's um, um, someone from her past, a former lover, Mary, shows up, um, and Mary's also an artist. Mm-hmm. So. That's kind of all that happens, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I liked that um, the treatment of Polly's sexuality was kind of ambiguous. Like she she kind of, she doesn't really know what she's looking for in a relationship or even if she wants a relationship. Like mm-hmm. the, there's all sort of, sort of questions that are brought up. And I, I, I just like that treatment of a character as opposed to... Um, something more more certain or direct about that uh, who who she is i guess okay yeah but it's uh, the movie is about her potentially coming out yeah right i don't know if it, i don't know if that's really the case no no cuz it's it's not really made public it's more or less just between the characters i would say between the three characters okay but it's for her like getting comfortable with who she is yeah. uh, her her sexuality she's realizing She's realizing that she's a lesbian. Yeah. Um, I no, no. I would say not. Yeah. Why not? I would say she's. I would say she's coming to understand other aspects of herself. But I. I don't think that we can safely presume that she's a lesbian. I think the movie uses art and uh, the art world as as a uh, metaphor for um, lesbianism. Am I wrong? You think I'm wrong? I, well, no, I just, I just, I, I just think that, it, like I said, I feel like it's more ambiguous, and that, and that, the, she could certainly be be bisexual or or pansexual or whatever word you want to use. But okay, yeah, I think I think uh, art is the uh, is the way to say that this character is discovering something about her. Yeah, it's not really about being an artist, though. I think it's about sexual identity. Okay, right. I think the I think the title refers to. Um, like mythological sirens, right? Yeah. So um, it's it's her it's her hearing the call of the lesbian world. Okay. Right. The door is being opened to her um, in, in terms of uh, she could explore her identity in this community, mm-hmm. um, and so it's it's about her being comfortable with that. Um, I think. I mean, I think we agree what the movie's about. Don't yeah. We? we, I mean, I, I guess just maybe how blatantly it's about it. I guess we we um, have a different interpretation. Sure. Uh, I, but I would also say that the artistic elements are important in their own right, in in their own right as well. I think I think it it is also exploring um, kind of what what it means or what it takes to be an artist and and um, like the value of of outside criticism I, f- I feel like i feel like it certainly is is exploring the art world as well as the character's sexuality i guess not not just using the art world as a way to as a, as a metaphor i guess i'm not I'm, i wasn't satisfied with how it um how it dealt with like the people uh, how the characters created and reacted to art i thought it was um i thought it was kind of uh a throwaway detail. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, you can. Yeah, there were certain visual elements that um, that I quite enjoyed, um, like the 
when when uh, Polly goes over to Gabrielle's house and um, is kind of enamored with this painting of hers, and Gabrielle talks about how she's kept her her paintings private and she doesn't want to she doesn't she doesn't want them to be seen by the public yet or whatever. Um, and um, I, I I really like this choice that that the the painting itself is just is just a, a frame of light. Okay. Um, because I, I find in a lot of movies, for some reason, I've never seen Mr. Holland's Opus, but I'm thinking of Mr. Holland's Opus because someone on a podcast I was listening to or something made reference to it recently that like the whole movie is about this, th- th- this music teacher writing this piece of music and it's supposed to be like grand and important and like the music sucks, but not, not because it's supposed to suck in the movie. Just because, like, it just wasn't written well. <laughs> oh, okay. but everyone, so, everyone behaves and, like and it's so, great. Yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't seen the movie, but right. I haven't bad, bad example. But um, I'm trying to think of others. But the, it it happens a lot in movies where where um, like someone is like thought to be really good at this thing, and so there's always the challenge of like, well, how do you present what is really good? Okay. It like like how do you present it within the world of the movie such that like when the when the viewer actually sees that piece of art or whatever that it actually comes across as um, like actually really good. Okay. Um, so I'm, or I'm even thinking of Infinite Jest. Like how because because that that's a that's a book about a, a video that when viewed puts the viewer into a catatonic state of bliss. Hmm. It's about a lot of other things as well, but that's one aspect of the book. And so I've thought about like if you were to if you were to adapt that into a movie, how would you visually represent that video that that just is so good that you just like like almost become not human anymore? And so I, I, I like the idea of this profound piece of, of art, like rather than actually showing what the painting looks like, just showing this blank light coming okay. out from the frame we see a we see a blank light yeah uh, in a frame do you think that's what polly sees no okay so she sees whatever the painting is yeah it's yeah. just we it's it's just too it's, it's too just, beautiful for us to register uh, i think i think it's just i think it's just a stylistic element there's there's just there's many sort of fantastical elements to the movie and i think that was just one way of uh, i guess uh, like to use the same word ambiguously representing something about the mm. movie okay yeah all right. I was kind of annoyed that they just set a, a frame of light. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought if they were going to like talk about art uh, and this and a character's art, a specific character's art, then show us the art. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't like that. I mean, it, it, you know, it didn't ruin the movie for me. I was just, I was just kind of thinking like, ah, it's a, kind of a, a cop out. Yeah. I, I understand it as a, as a stylistic um, decision though. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, but again, it feels like it is, it's just, it, it, again, it feels like the movie, the script is just um, talking about sexual identity because uh, Gabrielle is in the closet about her identity. Mary also. I don't know that she really closet. is, though. Mary maybe is more in the closet than Gabrielle. So Mary is. The, uh, Mary's the artist who made the painting, but Gabrielle's taking credit for it. But Mary seems much more outwardly and visibly gay. Yeah. Yes, except that the script says that she's too shy to take credit for her painting. For her painting, but not her sexuality, I don't think. Okay. I, th- I think it's clear from the start that she's a lesbian. Yeah. And, and like the way that she and Gabrielle interact 
and even in front of other people, seems to suggest that they're fairly open about their relationship, I thought. Okay. Point, counterpoint. Yeah. No, 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 that's a good point. That's a good point. (laughs) I'm asking if you have any any thoughts to add to that. Um, I think the movie plays this game where they they talk about art as like the thing that we can't really um, be open about. Yeah. But then they but then they they display their affections openly. Uh, okay. I think it's I think it's it's a, it's a clever way of saying the movie is about this, but it's really about that. Right. That's why in my mind is it, it is clearly a movie about sexual identity. It's about um, about about Polly realizing that she's gay. Right? Mm-hmm. Or bisexual, yeah, yeah. Um, the reaction to her art is, um, it could be that she is she is not displaying the behavior that uh, would be accepted in her community, right? Because in the end, um, well, well, she so Polly is um, a photographer too, mm-hmm. and at one point she submits her photos to Gabrielle anonymously. Gabrielle says, Gabrielle reacts uh, negatively to it. She says, this is the trite made flesh, mm-hmm. uh, which hurts Polly's feelings. Later, we discover, or sorry, later on, uh, Gabrielle goes to, uh, actually, it's, it's Mary first. Mary remarks first that, oh, these are your photos, they're quite good. And then later, Gabrielle goes to Polly's apartment and says, oh, these are your photos. I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. So the only thing that's different about the quality of her photography is that she has the approval of Mary, right? Right. So she's so she's um, and but and it's also interesting that um, Gabrielle Gabrielle recontextualizes her opinion, and I, I don't I don't think that it's like she kind of backtracks on what she said because she feels bad. I feel like she actually does think differently about them once she knows that Polly has has made them, as opposed to just some random person off the street. But it, I think it's. Like recognition of some, some genuineness about her identity. Yeah. Before it was your, your maybe playing at this identity of yourself as an artist or as a lesbian, mm-hmm. and later it's I understand that you're sincere about it. I see your art differently. I see your person differently, mm-hmm. and I welcome you into the community. And then the three of them go into another um, into in, into another reality. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much. So I think um, anyway. Does that um, so? Do you, does that make any sense? Do you know why I'm, I was saying like it's the art is a stand-in for sexual identity? Yeah. Okay. It, I I feel like this this could start to become kind of uh, a common stylistic choice in Canadian movies, but it it could just be that we the the few that we've seen from this time period I don't know but Adam McGoyan definitely shows this throughout his work that he he uses lo-fi video formats a lot um, even even in later stuff like um, Felicia's Journey has a bunch of has a bunch of um, like camcorder footage in it and Calendar which was before Exotica has a bunch of camcorder footage in it of, of like sort of a travelogue and then um, Exotica uses it somehow as well I feel like is it like security cameras or I could have sworn there was some oh well there's like the flashbacks or something right yeah yeah which or, or the, there's supposed to be a home a home movie type thing yeah right? mm-hmm. yeah even um, 
even Videodrome is is uh, largely about uh, video footage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I just I think that I feel like there's something to that that may, maybe it's movies being made on a smaller budget. It's just a way to visually have something that's visually distinctive from something else, like in terms of representing different story elements with these different different qualities of, of image I don't know but um, it seems it seems to be coming up enough that I'm, I'm starting to recognize it as a as a common trait in in, in Canadian cinema you're I think you're not wrong yeah yeah um, I guess we just don't have enough evidence at this point or at least I don't have enough evidence mm. maybe you do but um, I, uh, I I I enjoyed those elements and how and how um, that the the the, the camera inside the piece of art kind of plays into the story and um, allows Polly to uh, observe Mary and Gabrielle in, in in situations where they don't they don't think they're being observed and mm. um, except that uh, the thing that bothered me about it the thing that distracted me is just that the technology didn't seem like it should function that way right yeah like she uh, the the video camera that she puts into that into uh, that art piece uh, it's pretty big, and uh, I mean, it looks like it should have wires. I guess is what it, like we don't we don't see. It was plugged in anywhere. Or yeah, that yeah. is plugged in. It's, maybe it, maybe it's got a battery that lasts a day. But she Probably but she that. was but she was watching the footage live when she was in the office. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So uh, maybe this maybe this factors into this whole conversation about video. But why is it that Polly is making a video diary? It becomes a bookend uh, to the movie because she's she's. She becomes her own narrator, and she yeah. she kind of tells you what's happening in the story and how she's feeling. But is it necessary that she's making a video diary? I don't think so. I don't think so either. No, especially because it seems like she's telling this story to someone who's going to... Like, is it Gabrielle or Mary that's supposed to discover it? Um, or she is she going to kill herself? Or she, see, I get that. I think I feel like I get the sense that, if I recall correctly, she was just gonna she was gonna like drive off to another city or something. She's gonna run away. Yeah. yeah. Or or she thought she was gonna get arrested for what she did to Gabrielle. Yeah. Yeah. And I think she said, "Could you, like, could you, um, um, like, like she was talking to somebody who was taking over the apartment. She's like, can you, you know, um, enjoy my stuff or or sell it or something like that? I thought yeah. she said. So, um. Yeah, that's interesting. I actually I had a, I had a similar sort of experience to that where um, I was I was like living in a I was kind of boarding at a person's house in Switzerland. I was living there for a year and did not have a great experience living in this house and actually just decided that I had to leave uh, because this woman was getting to the point of of like screaming at me and like just it was just a very strange experience. But um, on the night that I was leaving, I actually found a, a letter in the desk from the per, from the student who had lived there the previous year like saying like this is not going to be easy like here's some pointers like that kind of thing i found it actually on the night that i was leaving wow <laughs> i don't know why i thought of that now but anyway yeah i don't fully get the sense i don't fully understand why she's recording this story on video other than for the fact that they need an excuse for the narration and perhaps again to have some sort of different stylistic elements at play in the movie mm -hmm. um, just to break up the story a bit to, to go back to her sitting in front of this camera I don't know it gives the movie a bit of character 
that it would it wouldn't have otherwise if it was just a, a story told straight. Yeah. But I, I think but I think the story could be told straight without yeah. any problem. It also it also lends more suspense to the plot than there actually is. I mm, think. Yeah. Yeah, because because even even the build up to the to the scene where where Polly like pours the hot drink on Gabrielle, it's like it's like just the way that it was staged, it felt like this like really important moment or whatever. But I just didn't even really recognize what happened, mm. and I didn't I didn't I didn't get the un- I didn't have the understanding that it was even like hot liquid that was being poured on her. But it it, it was just there was just a strange juxtaposition between what was actually happening and what I I interpreted to be happening and then it, that only got filled in by her explaining it in the in the in the narration but then but then Gabrielle shows up and it's not a problem anyway so it was just just strange hmm. when the movie finished I was uh, I did have this feeling of like is that all that there is yeah yeah I, I just like I thought there should be another act or something mm-hmm. uh, but but no the the movie is content with just what they've shown us which is just that uh, these characters meet and there's like a there's like a very minor kind of conflict between them and then mm-hmm. as a result um, so I guess for me it, dramatically it's, it seems a little bit um, unsatisfying mm-hmm. but but I, I read this interview where um, Patricia Rosema was was talking about how um, the way this movie was received, it was it was praised as like women, you know, being able to tell their own stories and, and tell it the way that they want to tell it, rather mm-hmm. than um, rather than leaving it in the hands of men. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's always kind of tricky for for me to to say um, um, for myself to say like, oh, this is clearly a women's movie, or this is clearly a, uh, a movie for men. Mm-hmm. But but maybe it's just like that that difference of uh, of how we want to see people interact, maybe maybe men want to see people interacting a more more aggressively, or uh, or if they are uh, driven to violence to express the violence, mm-hmm. um, and maybe so maybe that's the, the counterpoint to that is just that people can slowly discover who they are without really upsetting anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a. I feel like that's probably how I would. Want to live my life, yeah. <laughs> sure, but it's not a movie I want to see. <laughs> I guess for that's uh, for me that's the, the the dilemma is if something is if something becomes too much true to life or true to how you want it to be, um, it it doesn't uh, it doesn't doesn't always make the best entertainment. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I mean, like I think of um, have you seen much Ozu? A little bit, not yeah. much. But. but like his movies, his movies don't necessarily have like. I guess they they have their conflict, but um, I, maybe just because of like Japanese cultural mores, they're just the con- the conflict is is kind of like swept under the rug. Mm. So like on the surface, those movies are are basically just family members like calmly interacting with each other, but like mm-hmm. really they're they're dealing with complex issues of of. Um, you know, femininity and um, patriarchy and like all of these things are, are happening and um, like they, they're ob- obviously con- considering the fact that they're like some of the best movies ever made like they're it, it's quite profound mm-hmm. um, 
May I comment on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah um, please do. I think uh, when you say Ozu, uh, I think sometimes of uh, uh, I might get his name wrong, but um, Koreeda um, Hiro Hirokazu Koreeda, right? You know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Afterlife. So, uh, um, still walking. My little sister. Our little sister. Right. Our little sister, and like father, like son. Nice. Yes. That's right. Uh, those are movies where not a lot happens, but uh, like in terms of like you know giant uh, uh, events, like dramatic events. There's no car chases. There's no mm-hmm. like people exploding and um, literally or figuratively. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no emotional explosions. But it's people who um, have you know they have some thing that doesn't quite go as planned in their lives, and they they have to deal with it both for what would satisfy them as an individual and what would satisfy society. Mm-hmm. I think those movies I can, and, uh, and Ozu too, I think I can watch those and not be worried, not be, not be troubled by the lack of, um, of, of uh, narrative drama because it feels a bit foreign to me. It, I'm, I'm observing people of, uh, uh, in, in Japanese culture who um, my understanding is that they have, a, in, in terms of uh, their societal roles um it's very prescribed and i can mm-hmm. i can you know it, so it it's exotic for me firstly but also I, I can i can infer that it's about people who are going through an internal conflict mm-hmm. uh, about what they want to do versus what society has them do mm-hmm. right um so maybe I, I could accept that uh you know something like i've heard the mermaid singing um, does something similar? Yeah, yeah. but I, th- I think, uh, like, to get back to the voiceover, I feel like that actually removes the internal conflict because now, now the character is outwardly expressing, kind of, here's what happened here, here's what I was thinking here. Like, she's she's very open about her thoughts and feelings at each step of the movie, almost. So yeah, I guess it's not as easily relatable to those those Japanese movies but no not uh, yeah. I mean not that's not a direct link but I can yeah. I can uh, what I'm saying is I could appreciate uh, a movie that is about uh, that is about internal struggle mm-hmm. um, there wouldn't be big scenes of emotion mm-hmm. so, yeah but I guess I just wish there was uh, a little bit more to it I think the, the fact that it's about non heterosexual individuals and I say that just because like I said I, I feel like it still is sort of ambiguous what where, where Polly fits on the spectrum so to speak okay. um, for for a movie like that to come out in 1987 um, I, fe- I feel like like and, and and for it to have no conflict like kind of in the midst of the AIDS crisis and and all of the political things that would have been going on within those communities and outside of those communities, um, to just have a movie that's very naturally about these three characters and and it doesn't really have that much conflict and and isn't about you know one of them dying from some disease or um, them being persecuted in any way, like that in itself, I, th- I feel like has merit and value. Yeah, I don't, didn't, watching, I don't it 30, watching it thirty years later does that implicit sort of extra textual historical context to it, does that still hold any value? Yeah. I guess is up, is, is up 
for debate? That is a good question. Like, do everything exists? Art exists in its context. Yeah. But will you always experience that art in the same context? Or do you, you know, like, can we not watch I've Heard the Mermaid Singing without appreciating the context of 1987? Can I just watch it today and say, does it hold up or not? Mm-hmm. Right? And, I'm, and I'm, really only, I'm really only posing this because I'm, I'm trying to think about other reasons for, for uh, other reasons to appreciate the lack of conflict in the movie. Mm-hmm. And just something that I hadn't considered previously was, you know, what was going on at the time. And yeah. that can sometimes bring answers and sometimes not but right yeah right but I, th- I think it's an example that something of its time could be quite um groundbreaking and, and profound and and maybe it, that's you know it just uh it's had its day yeah yeah uh, certainly if if a movie with the same characters uh the same story were made today it'd be told differently yeah it wouldn't it, i don't think it would have to beat around the bush about who the characters want to be yeah um yeah. So you've seen Moonlight, yes, um, and I mean it, and just thematically and, and plot-wise, it's a similar movie in terms of someone discovering their identity. The way it approaches that plot is drastically different, I would say. Yeah, and there certainly is more conflict, but it also gaps over a lot of that conflict. Um, like well, without, without spoiling the movie, obviously, the, like the character finds himself in precarious positions at certain points but then there are time jumps that take us past what the the consequences of those of those actions are it also brings the movie back to um like what the character is really dealing with right like he it is about his uh his identity as an individual yeah and he's almost sidetracked because he's got this drama at high school and he's got this uh, these other things happening in his life and those things threaten to overtake what he's really struggling with, and mm-hmm. I think the movie brings it back. We're, we're talking about Moonlight again, but um, yeah. um, I think it's actually it's quite good that you brought that up in the context of, of mermaids. Yeah, um, that makes a lot of sense. And and a lot of the discussion about that movie has been this: this is a movie about gay black men, hmm. and again, not not about gay black men dying of AIDS or whatever. <laughs> like it's just it's just about them existing. And yes, there's conflict, and yes, there are there are people who who don't appreciate who they are but ultimately it's about this bond between between these two men mm-hmm. um and yeah the discussion around it is is just that it is it is kind of revolutionary just for the fact of it being like just just because it exists it is therefore an important piece of art because nothing like it has really existed up until now or at, or at least in in the in the form that it exists in but yeah and so 30 years from now will people still see moonlight as the same radical take on that particular community's experience mm-hmm. or or will it just be like oh well you know we have we have a few dozen of these movies now and and it's a good one but um is it still important right I, th- I think it will be because I, I don't know. I really like Moonlight, but yeah, and I, I like Moonlight too because um, and, it, and and obviously and I've heard the mermaid singing has yeah. has survived as well. Sure, it seems like people still talk about it. Yeah. Well, but anyway, but, but you were but, about to say something about Moonlight. Well, I think Moonlight. I think I like Moonlight because it's it, it's about the character's journey, but it's you know his world is populated with the, with these other details, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's just it just seems fleshed out more. 
um, something like uh, like mermaids, it's 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 very narrowly focused in terms of uh, uh, this aspect of Polly's story, mm-hmm. and it just it doesn't really deviate from that very much, and it just it just feels a little bit it feels a little bit slim for me. Okay, um, maybe that's why you know I, I feel a little bit um, a little bit frustrated in ter- in terms of uh, the depth of the story, right? mm-hmm. but maybe that's all that they want to say, and uh, you know maybe it's maybe it's just a more elegant way of saying it than I expected. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe I'll come around, but yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I'm not saying I dislike it. I'm just. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but certainly, it's. Uh, I mean, it's still remembered because uh, it was uh, groundbreaking at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, is it also? Still, I think it's still fairly high up on that TIFF list too. It's not on the top ten, but no, it's like somewhere in there. Well, there's no. There's no prizes for eleven. Yeah. Although but I did, I did, there's... I did actually tabulate the full list. Oh, okay. And that is available on Letterboxd on my on my account on Letterboxd. If anyone wants to check that out, do check it out. Yeah, yeah. But when we, you know, if if we're going to look at the uh, these lists that uh, a list like the TIFF list, which you know is a, a snapshot of what makes up the identity of of Canadian film. Well, I'd say it's what makes up the establishment identity of Canadian film. I think I, I guess I uh, don't. I'm just saying. I guess our you know our our tastes our perspectives they they evolve over time. So yeah, in the in the in the '90s it was certainly uh, it was just it was you know it was at that time it was still highly regarded, but um, it's been overtaken uh, as the as the list has evolved as new works have come out. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, is on the on the newer list is there something that uh, also um, tackles uh, um, sexual identity issues that I can think of? Yeah. Oh, uh, actually, crazy. Oh. That John Mark Valley one. Oh, okay, I haven't seen that. That's about. I think that's about homosexuality in some way. Okay, in like the seventies or. Yeah. We will get it's to like that period picture. Yeah. yeah, I haven't seen that. But yeah. all right, cool. Does it? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, thanks. It's all good, man. <laughs> uh, was there anything that stood out as uh, identifiably Canadian for you? Yeah, seeing uh, again, seeing the Toronto skyline, but from a different perspective. Like she, she, she sort of enters into her apartment, which is like on the second level of some building, and and she kind of goes through the back alley. Yeah. But and you see the CN Tower again, but from the context of this kind of more rundown neighborhood outside of the city, and um, that that was interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't even really place where that is, but. Mm. I thought that was an interesting um, location too to, mm-hmm. to frame uh, the tower from there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the CN Tower in Canadian movies is that is it does it function the same way that the Eiffel Tower does whenever um, Americans want to tell you they're in France? How's this? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I guess that didn't come up well. Uh, like if you're watching an American, like a Hollywood movie, the the signal that they're in France, that they're in Paris, is you'll see the Eiffel Tower in the background. Right. right. So it seems like that's how the CN Tower functions as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what would that be like? I, I've 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 had this discussion with a few people now because I bought this T-shirt, which is like it's like a Vancouver T-shirt, and it's got a V on it, and then it has like a profile of the Waterfront Center, oh, yeah. which is like our communications tower just like the cn tower but 
it's a shitty building. <laughs> like I don't, I don't find it distinctive in any way other than the fact that it has a similar shape to the CN Tower, but it's way shorter. And like the Shangri-La Hotel or like the new Trump Tower or any number of buildings are way taller than it now, especially because it actually sits on one of the lower points in downtown. So like it just, it, it doesn't seem to be iconic in any way. And yet, like what is iconic about that, about Vancouver skyline? No, not maybe, maybe the, maybe like seeing Stanley park in the context of the downtown and like Cole Harbor and all that. So low stuff, low lying stuff. makes Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it just doesn't play or, well then, on a, on then a then silhouette. The, the only other thing that I've thought of as uniquely as, as more iconic was the science world. Oh yeah. The dome. Okay. Yeah. I don't think, I don't know if we've ever seen that in a movie, maybe in Deadpool. We've seen the science world. <laughs> I think it was in. Uh, it might have been in the background of uh, a hot tub time machine. <laughs> Did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's show. Give this a a score out of our um, based on our made up and arbitrary leaf rating system. Yeah, I think we're on. I, th- I think sixty one is prime. Okay. Yeah, it's got. Yeah, Great. it's prime. I'll give it forty one. Um. Sure. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, 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 I just don't feel motivated to give things a rating for some reason. Yeah, but we agreed to do it I know. from our anniversary show. I know, I know. But I'm just trying, like, and I can't come up with any funny joke ups So, and I'm sure none of them are really funny anyway. But um, 41 sounds good. I mean, it's a good movie. I'll, prob- I'll probably watch it again and I'll probably enjoy it again. So that's a good sign. Okay. So then it'll be 82 out of 61 on second viewing. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> I'm not You I'm just not add, every time you watch it, you add the previous rating that you gave it. Okay. That's how it works, right? If it works for you, it works for me. Uh, if it works for you, send us an email at filmedincanada at gmail.com. Listen, we, just, we need more emails. We don't get enough emails. Like we, we need to know in some way that people are listening to this. So please, please send emails. What if they don't? Are you gonna are you gonna like threaten to stop the podcast? No, I just I just I want to get an email, man. <laughs> See what's going on out in the world, you know? Because I'm up, not on Twitter anymore, so I don't oh, know. Okay. I opened up the um, um, like I relaxed the restrictions on the comments thing for um, for our website. Okay. And I just get I just get this asshole who keeps posting spam about uh, football games. <laughs> Really? Yeah, you haven't seen it? No. I tried to be diligent about deleting it. But um, yeah, I thought it would lower the barriers in terms of uh, getting comments or whatever. Yeah. But it's just it's just open enough to spam. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So fuck that guy. Yeah. yeah, I don't know I don't I don't think comments are are necessary because like everyone has their own way to interact with things on the internet, like whether it's email or whatever. Like Well, you know, my inter- my way of interacting with the internet is to uh, to look at it, read it hear it and then close it so yeah. i don't i don't respond to stuff i don't no. comment that much either so i can't you know i can't blame other people for not doing the same yeah but make an exception listener <laughs> do it for we alexander need, we, need, we need to feel important <laughs> not important but just that this is not a wasted effort <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's not wasted man because you know we sure. get to hang out we have a good time yeah yeah we I'm watch sure. we watch lots of canadian movies right yeah that's totally paid off why not? I feel like I feel like I feel like I feel like they've mostly been good, right? No, it's 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 been a good exercise because yeah. these are uh, yeah, they're movies that I 
um, that you know I, I, I might have just skipped otherwise or not given a second thought to. And yeah. It's a good exercise. I hope you appreciate it too, listener. Tell us that you do. Yeah. Or tell us that you don't. Yeah. You know, you know the, the, the best way to, uh, to show your disapproval of this podcast is to start a better podcast. So fucking do it, man. Yeah. All right. And with that, I think we're going to wrap it up. Yep. Cue the music. Uh, well, we got like emails and, and websites and stuff. We, our emails are filmedincanada at gmail.com. I said that earlier. Did you? I did. Oh, no. Oh, I did. I did. That's, that's what prompted you to say we don't get enough emails. I think you just said... Like, you should give, us, give the website. Give the website. www.filmedincanada.net. I really don't remember you saying it. <laughs> you have to listen to the tape. Then. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> or sorry, www. Not www. Filmedincanada.net. And uh, yeah, whatever. Filmedincanada at gmail.com. Just fucking email. Do it. Fucking do it. Shia LaBeouf. Have you seen that video? <laughs> It's, he's in front of a green screen and he's just screaming at you saying just do it believe in yourself and like he's going for like three minutes and then I guess the purpose of it was just so that people could could then like green screen him into other scenes and so people cut him into like like the, the scene in Star Wars where, where Luke's trying to raise the, the, the TIE fighter out of the water or like any other examples I can't think of right off the top of my head, but that that was the most popular one. For the record, I think you were talking about The Empire Strikes Back and Luke raising an X-Wing. Yeah, whatever, but, dude. Yeah. Hey, it's so, not whatever. <laughs> fucking nerd. All right. <laughs> All right, we're done. Okay. Bye-bye.